give old Haley the turn it up sign. How's everyone doing? If you're wondering what we laugh about half the time, it's mostly me. Um, playing the drums does something for me that uh, it seems uh, both ends of the spectrum come together at the same time. It's hard to explain, but on one hand, <clears throat> on one hand, I get really uh, amped up playing the drums, uh, and that's a good thing. But on the other hand, at the same time, it's very relaxing. And the downside to being very relaxing is my hands get really relaxed. And when my hands get relaxed, the drumsticks start flying in different directions. And so uh, don't think that I'm going to launch one into the crowd like a concert. But um, anyway, I receive a lot of ribbing for my uh, (coughs) unique ability to drop drumsticks. You know what the old timers used to say? Uh, didn't, didn't the old-timers used to say that, like, if you kind of have the dropsies, that maybe somebody's pregnant? Isn't that, Mom, isn't that, the old-timers used to say that. Like, if a lady kept dropping stuff, everybody said, well, maybe you're pregnant. Uh, well, maybe you're pregnant. Actually, Katie is pregnant. And my response Friday morning was, Really? Really? We had to get together Friday morning, and uh, Robbie, the math wizard, said that, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what you said, but the first time, like, all nine of us get a chance to get together, something like that, and and, um, it went over everybody's head, including mine. It went over everybody's head except for Morgan, who is, you know, the numbers type. She's like, nine? There's not nine of us here. What are you talking about? You're not very good at math, Robbie. She didn't say that, but she was thinking it. Where's your math skills, Robbie? And like he counted around and then pointed at number nine at, at Katie's tummy. It was actually pretty fun. And I was wishing that Jim Kiefer was here because little didn't, if you were here several weeks ago and, and uh, Heather and Isaiah were sitting over here, Phil and Michelle's uh, oldest daughter and her husband, and they're expecting, and so Jim, Grandpa Jim, great-grandpa Jim, Wanted to give this announcement. Little did he know, little did he know that he was prophetic because Robbie and Katie were like pointing across, it's not us, it's not us, all the while she was actually pregnant. Isn't that crazy? It's awesome how God works. So I wish he was here, but uh, he's not here this morning. He's probably fine. Keeping people safe at the ski hill. All right. Where do we get started here? Uh, We've come to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And uh, if, if you've been tracking along, uh, if you haven't been tracking along, you can always catch up online, uh, either on our website or uh, like uh, Apple uh, Podcasts, it's on all of there. But um, we've made it all the way through. We started in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. We've made it all the way through. Uh, and today we start chapter 15, so we're boiling this thing down to a conclusion for a, for a study but really, today is the perfect day and the perfect passage to preach uh, this message. Why? Because we have the baptismal tank up here, and we have a, a couple of fellas here. And if you're wondering who all the extra people are, um, <clears throat> well, they're here to see Robbie Butler and Ethan Johnson get baptized this morning. We're super excited. These guys are super excited, maybe a little bit nervous. 
uh, I'd be honest to say, Ethan, I'm actually probably a little nervous too, but it's the perfect day to preach through this passage. And here's why. Uh, Jesus parting instructions to his, to his guys, Jesus parting instructions to his fellows was this, Go therefore and make disciples to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to do today. That's what, uh, what we've been talking about with these two fellows. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. It's a great parting instructions, and it's a great precursor to jumping into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But these parting instructions were, were taken up. They were, they were taken literal by his disciples who became apostles, including eventually a guy uh, who at one hand was, uh, at one time, was, was Christian's worst enemy. This guy was the, he was the, I, I like to use the hockey term, he was the enforcer for the other team. He was the guy that brought the heavy blows for Judaism against Christianity at one time. And God just miraculously converted this guy named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, changed his name to Paul, and Acts says that he was trying to eradicate these believers that didn't work. God blinded him. As I mentioned, he converted him to Christianity and became a powerful apostle for Jesus. To, <clears throat> and he toured around the known world preaching the gospel and starting churches. One of those churches, that the very one we've been studying, is the church in the city of Corinth, down in kind of southern Greece, a church that Acts 18 says that the Apostle Paul started and he gives some details in the book of Acts about what had happened there. Uh, <clears throat> Paul's comments in 1 Corinthians 1 as he began this book, just a couple of things. He says, he says a few things about, about the whole process. He says, I'm thankful for the graciousness of God uh, that Jesus gave to the Corinthians. He's, he's thankful that God gave the Corinthians the grace and the understanding and the gift of salvation. So he's thankful, in chapter 1 says. He's also thankful that the testimony of Christ is confirmed in them, that, 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 it, was, uh, <clears throat> that it was demonstrated amongst the Corinthian followers. He wanted them also to experience all that God had for them, the gifts, the whole nine yards. He wanted them to experience everything that God would have for them. And he reminds them that God is faithful and that they're called into the fellowship of the believers by Jesus, and he reminds them also at the very end, <clears throat> or towards the end of chapter 1, he reminds them that he didn't bring the gospel with these fancy arguments and, and lofty words. It wasn't with the wisdom that the Greeks were used to really seeking out. It wasn't that way. It wasn't, you know, let's stand up and have a debate, although Paul could stand up and have a debate. He was very skilled in the, in the, uh, in the exercise of, of debating truth. Very skilled that way. But he said, I didn't come that way. I didn't come with lofty wisdom. I didn't come with this, you know, fancy words. And who's the smartest type of an attitude? He kind of came in weakness. He came with the simple gasp.el First Corinthians one eighteen through one eighteen says this for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Down in verse 22, Paul says this, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's kind of the attitude and the, the message that he have. And then after 14 chapters of correction, after 14 chapters of addressing all of these different issues in the church, all of these areas where they were kind of off the rails, and we talked about the last couple of weeks, after 14 chapters of addressing really all the church chaos that the, that the Corinthians were kind of uh, engaged in, Paul comes back to the simple message of the gospel of Jesus. A simple message really that addresses three things. He addresses the mechanics of the gospel, he addresses the message of the gospel, and then he addresses, in a sense, those that witnessed or the ministers of the gospel. Let's dive right in. Chapter 15, verse 1, if you have a Bible in front of you or a cell phone, with, make sure you're not watching playing Candy Crush, make sure that, that you know, the version Bible app is open, or watch it on the screen, whichever is your preference. Here we go. Chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which, you are all <coughs> which, you are, are, which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul starts right off with the mechanics of the gospel. Like, how do we get it? What is it, what is it all about? Uh, there, there, are some, there are some elements here that, that need to be in play for everybody that becomes a believer. And if you think back to your own story, if you think back to your own conversion, if you're a Christ follower, you can look back and say, oh yeah, I remember that guy. I remember that lady. I remember those people that played some of these roles that taught me what the Word of God had to say. So how do we get it? Well, it's preached. It's preached. We hear the gospel by listening to others share their Jesus story. That's preaching in, in its purest form. It's to simply just share, this is what's happened to me. This is what's happened to me. And a lot of us are fearful to, to engage in that with people around us at times. Don't be fearful. Be filled with faith that this is God's ultimate job, His ultimate commission for every believer is for you to just simply share your story. And there's power in your story, Jesus says. There's power. Nobody can refute what God has done to you. They might not agree, but they can't say what's happened to you didn't happen. They can't refute that, not in any way. They might not like it. They may cuss you out. They may spit in your face. They may walk away. They may call you bad names. They might do all of these things in frustration, and, and, and the evil that is within them is reacting to the righteousness that's within you. That's what's going on at a spiritual level. So there's a reaction. We've got to be, you know, strong enough to be able to absorb and understand what's going on in that moment. But the reality is, is they can't change what God has done to you. That doesn't change your testimony. Oh, man, Bill said it didn't really happen. What do I do? Baloney. It happened. That's God's job. You're going to say, oh yeah, God's job didn't happen. God didn't do his job very well. Eh, he's taking a break. You know. He built it on a Friday. You know, that's the big excuse. Like, you get a bad lawnmower, and it happened to come from where, like, you know, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and there was happened to be a Friday game, and you're thinking, yeah, it was built on a Friday, Right in Green Bay. Nobody was paying attention. They're thinking about the game. God doesn't operate that way. 
doesn't make a mistake. He's always paying attention. And he's created us. He's created us to share or to preach the gospel. The number one fear of all mankind is to speak publicly. It holds a lot of people back from doing a lot of things that God has told them to do. Uh, God's way uh, stronger than your phobia of speaking in public. And whether it's up here, or whether it's in the diner, or whether it's standing in line at Walmart, or whether it's at the gas station pumping gas and somebody starts asking you questions, and you can interject something in a sense, that's a sense of being proclaiming at the base level. That's, a, that's the essence of proclaiming the goodness of God and preaching. I'll use that word. The Bible uses that word preaching. We hear the gospel by listening to others share their Jesus story. Romans chapter 10 has a little bit to say about that. Verses 14 and 15, Paul says this through the book of Romans or to the Romans. He says, how then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? Here we go. Here's the scenario. How shall they call on them who have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Is that your life message? Is your life message, is your disposition, is, is, your, is your bend into Christ in that relationship, is He affecting you, if you're a pessimist, is God bending you differently, that you're the type of person now that used to be pessimistic, but now you're bringing good tidings? Now you're bringing great news? Now you're being encouraging to the person that's pumping gas across from you? I hope so. I believe so. I absolutely believe so. And that's the type of people God's called us to be because that's what happened for us. We need to endeavor to share the gospel at every turn and every opportunity. So the gospel's preached, it's also then received. It's also received, it says, which I, <clears throat> moreover, brother, I declare to you the gospel which I preach, which you also received, which you also received. We accept the truth that Jesus died for our sins, and we call for forgiveness. Same chapter, the verse before I started in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says this, real simple, Great little Awana verse, one that the little kids are learning. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a sense of receiving it. We're receiving it, we're accepting the truth that Jesus is who Jesus says He is. There's a lot of people out there talking about Jesus and, and given a particular perspective here or there maybe. I've always said for years, if you don't want to believe me, that's fine. You do your own homework, you figure out who Jesus says Jesus is, and you'll come to the right conclusion. You'll come to the right ends if you're willing to trust and accept that it's true. When we accept and trust that it's true, then we do what Romans 10, 13 says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord, we're calling for Jesus to forgive us. We're calling out. We're coming to this realization that our sin's too heavy to bear. We could spend a million years trying to make recompense for our own sins, and it'll never happen. Or we can trust that Jesus died for our sins, and paid for our sins, and our response is to trust and to cling to Him, and to follow Him, and let Him be the Lord of our lives, that's that calling out piece. That's how the bill's actually paid. It's not paid by us. 
No amount of effort will acquire God's gift of grace. We simply respond to it and receive it as the truth of God in faith. So we preached, it's preached, it's received, and now it's how we stand. Now it's how we stand. Our standing before a holy God is only possible through Jesus. That standing affects everything in our lives. It affects our standing for God. Your standing in God, according to what Jesus has done, will affect your standing for God. A bad way to, a bad way to uh, prepare to stand against evil, right? To stand against ungodliness. A bad way to prepare for that is to, to not stand in Christ. But when you stand in Christ, you better know, sooner or later, you will be asked to stand for Christ in the public square. Absolutely. We see that. We see that in the video. We've seen that through this last weekend with the 40 Days for Life march. All that goes with that. It's how we stand. Despite all the chaos in Corinth, their problems with carnality, and their problems with a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge of who God is, their problems with strife, divisions, immorality, weird spirituality, all of the uh, food sacrificed to idols, all of that, despite all of that chaos, it's interesting because we have to come back around. I don't want to demonize the, the Christians in Corinth because, honestly, today's church is a lot like it, right? So despite all of those problems, despite all of that struggle, they still stood for Christ. We have to come back to that basic fundamental teaching in chapter 1. They still stand for Christ, and Paul brings it out here in chapter 15. They were still standing for the gospel. This is actually, in a, a, there's a good contrast. I won't go there, but I'll reference it. This is <clears throat> in contrast to the Galatian church, who was quickly being moved away to, quote-unquote, what Paul calls another gospel a gospel of works, a gospel of, of try harder, a gospel that you can please God if you, if, you know, you can get a little more of a smile, you can get a little bit more of a blessing from God if you do this, that, and the other thing. That was where the Galatian church was struggling. But Paul says here to the Corinthian church, hey, despite all of this, you're still standing for the gospel. Not only is it how we is it preached? Is it received? It's how we stand. It's also, it's how we're saved. It's a gospel. It's a message that converts us from one side to the other. There's a fitting description of God's work in a person's life where the Apostle Paul writes to Titus, one of his young protégés, a young pastor. He says in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So Paul's saying, this is the way we used to be. These are the things we used to struggle with. This is the, this is the, the snapshot of a life before Christ. Right? Then he says in verse 4, the transitional verse, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. He saved us. Right? Responding to the gospel, trusting Christ as your Savior, leaning in on Him, believing Him for who He says He is, that is the kindness and the love of God appearing to you and to me. 
whenever that happened for you, right? That was that moment. And God's simple encouragement for all of us today is to take your moment, take that moment of which it happened for you and in you, and be a promoter of that in other people. Be, be, the, be the promoter of that in people that, that don't know Christ, that don't know Jesus. Right? It's a fitting description. It's how we're saved. He goes on in the rest of that passage is through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. <clears throat> that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So God's, God's reaching down and touching hearts and the moment that, that, that you trust in Him, and, and I, this is why I say it's a perfect day. It's a perfect day to preach on this. I remember very clearly talking with Ravi in the back room after a men's breakfast. And uh, he says, I want to talk to you. I got to talk to you. I got to share some good some news. I thought, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? I didn't really know you that well back then, right? But he just sat there and laid out like all night the night before. He had to know. Is he saved? Is he not saved? And so he called a friend. He phoned a friend right off the old, who wants to be a millionaire? Going to dial it in? Let's see if it's true or not. What, like, what is it? What is my response? What is God doing in my life? Those are the types of questions that rumble through our minds. We need to be the type of people that are willing to pick up the phone. We need to be the type of people that are willing to, to say, all right, yeah, let's sit and talk about it. I, it doesn't matter if it's two in the morning. Let's talk about it. There's no more important conversation that you'll ever have with somebody than when they're genuinely and truthfully curious about who Jesus is. And then you know that they don't know Him. But they're asking questions, and it's time to, time to set everything else in life aside and have the most important conversation with somebody. Because that's the time. That's the time. It's interesting how many of this, much of this happens in the, you know, in, the, in the late hours when we're just stopping, really thinking about things. And that's probably a whole other sermon for another time. But notice here in Titus 3, it's God's work. It's not man's effort or goodness. It's God's work. All of it's God's work. The washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, having God infuse you with His Holy Spirit. It's crazy. Who had ever thought of this as being, uh, <clears throat> who had ever thought of this as being how God would change mankind? He poured out on us abundantly the, the Holy Spirit. When he poured out, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, there it is, we're believing in who Jesus says he is, justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's how we're saved. That's how, that's how you step into a new eternal reality. And of course it's God's work. The summary really of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 and 2 is similar to what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1, 13 says this, <clears throat> For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is, <clears throat> but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. 
There it is. That's really how simple it is. Is it true? That's the question that every person will have to come to, 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 to grapple with. Do I believe that Jesus is who He says He is? Is it true? And is it the Word of God? And is this the guide for life? That's the simple reality of people being converted. Now, it takes a lot of shapes, a lot of forms. God does some crazy things in the Middle East. God's saving people through dreams. They don't have the written word. If you're camped out in a hut in northern Afghanistan, there's probably not one of these within 300 miles of you, perhaps. Or maybe further. So God's saying, all right, I'll just show it myself. And there's just account after account after account of people being so stirred up by what God showed them in a dream that they can't not stop asking questions. And you'll know that it's true when they ask this question, do you know who Jesus is? Can you tell me about Jesus? And they have to know. And they have to know when they start looking and they start seeking. And I'm going to tell you, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous reality for them right now. Because they ask the wrong person and the next thing you know, they got their hand tied behind their back, they're down on their knees with their head down and somebody has a pistol at their head. That's the reality of where it's at. And We live in a pretty cushy, cozy life in America where that kind of stuff doesn't happen. But it happens to other people that are sitting there trying to consider, who is Jesus? The great news is, is they're willing to say, I still believe. Squeeze the trigger if you must. But I'm still going to believe. So God's doing some crazy things. His word doesn't return void. Still moving out. The message of the gospel. What's the message of the gospel? And sometimes it seems chaotic or confusing and how do we share all of this? And it sounded halfway intelligible coming from the guy at the pulpit. Don't think that... Uh, I've always done this. I've sat there and thought, I don't have a clue how to share Jesus with other people. Uh, <clears throat> the great news is, is that God wrote it down. You can literally read it, and people can come to the same conclusion. So here it is. Here's Paul's message. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day according to to the scriptures. We have to receive the gospel first, then pass it on. Here's the message. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. This is what he's done for you personally. This is what he's done for mankind in general. He sacrificed himself. A lot of debate back and forth on some minor points, I suppose. Was Jesus killed? I don't think Jesus was killed. I'll put, you, I'll put my opinion out in the middle of the bull ring. I don't think he was killed. I think he sacrificed himself i think he walked in obedience to the plan that was set in 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 motion uh in eternity past according to the book of ephesians so he would have walked in there one way or the other whether they took him or whether they didn't i believe those are all hypotheticals it's dangerous to work a lot of stuff on a hypothetical deal but i know there's a lot to be said you know you killed jesus well and it's in the bible sure it is uh, people had an active part. They had an active part. The guys that showed up in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, they had an active part in what was happening. 
And from a perspective, it looked like they took him in and the Jews killed him. They definitely had an active part. The very people that should have been recognizing Jesus as Messiah were the very ones that were frustrated that he might somehow uh, pilfer some of their power, that he might rip them off of some of their you know, influence in, in, in Israel. So you can't have that. You, know? you can't have that. So they definitely had an active part. I believe Jesus stepped forward because that was the Father's plan from eternity past. And he says, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. So he was buried and then he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. It's interesting. Uh, there's an <coughs> interesting little numbers game that is played. Jesus lived, uh, they figure, to 33. So he had three years, 30 years of living life, three years of ministry, but he conquered sin and death in three days. Interesting little play on the number three. In Galatians 1, 11 through 20 tells us that Paul received this gospel directly from Jesus, if you're wondering how that happened. Like you just said, Mark, that he was wasn't really, you know, he wasn't part of the original group, and he was the uh, Judaism's big enforcer and all that. You can footnote in your own Bible, go read the first chapter of the book of Galatians. Paul will tell you himself how he received the gospel. Of course, you can dig into the book of Acts and see the historical account of it as well. But the message is simple. The message is simple. It doesn't have to be complex. He came, he died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day. And that's all according to I'm not looking for a reference. What Paul was talking about, he was talking about that much of the Bible. This part. The Old Testament. That's the scriptures he's talking about. They were just writing the New Testament. He was writing the New Testament as he was talking about the Old Testament, saying that everything that you need to know about who the Messiah is, who Jesus is, what his purpose was, what his plan was, all of that is found in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. So it's not something to just be disregarded as something for you know, history's sake and a particular group of people in the Middle East. That that's all to them. This is all, all of it's cover to cover is for us. And Jesus is, is, is uh, highlighted throughout all of the Bible. We can see his plan clearly written out through all of the Bible. One little piece, not in my notes, but in the devotions we've been doing in the chronological read. There's a little piece in Job chapter 7, or excuse me, Job chapter 9, uh, where he's kind of complaining Job's kind of complaining about, like, what would it be like if, you know, if God and I went to court? You know, there's no way I would win in a court battle with the God of the universe. There's no way. And it's this kind of, you know, back and he's kind of listing all this off. And there's one little piece towards the end of chapter 9, a one little reference that looks forward to who, a guy he never met in person, a guy he didn't even know what his name would be, but Job says this, uh, Nor is there any uh, mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. 
Job's referring to Jesus, the, the coming Messiah, not knowing who he was, not knowing when he would come, not knowing anything about him, but knowing this simple truth that there is no way I could ever measure up to the God of this universe. There's no way I could ever win. A, a, he uses kind of the idea of being in trial and being in court with God. There's no way. He, he'd beat me every time. And he's saying, hey, hey I need a mediator. <laughs> I need somebody to work on my behalf. I need somebody to deal with my issues. I need somebody to deal with my sin, my struggle, because there's no way I could ever measure up to the Heavenly Father. He didn't know who he was talking about, but he knew a simple principle that it was true, that he needed somebody. That he needed somebody. Haley, did you ever get those? uh, Where did Haley go? Maybe she was raptured and we all missed it. Did she get that slide up with the symbols? Brooks gave me that sad-eyed look. All right, let's do it this way. We'll do it this way. See these symbols here? I listened to this testimony years ago about this guy who came to faith in Christ. Now, this guy was a... uh, he was a man's man. I'll show you the symbols. Everybody see all that? Raise your hand if you have a clue what that's from. There's a few. Everybody get a good look? You guys get a look at that? I wanted to put it up here. My technolo- technological skills are... Now, oh, they're suffering. Let's put it that way. <clears throat> I got this uh, off the internet, actually. This guy was telling his testimony. He was a real hellion. And uh, he was a boozer. He was a womanizer. He dabbled with drugs. He ran a bar. Getting in fights all the time. Running. Running with his dudes. His, his buddies always in trouble. Was married at one time. Basically ran off his wife and, and uh, two small boys. Just ran him off, said, hey, you guys are better off without me. <clears throat> anyway, this guy's sister, this guy's sister was a, uh, was a Christ follower. She was a Christian. She prayed for her brother nonstop. And uh, God, God gave her kind of a word about her brother. And that word was is that, that if he would come to faith in Christ, he will influence thousands. Thousands. So she kind of begged and pleaded with the local pastor to go talk to this guy. And, and he took a run at him. In fact, he, he drove, drove to this guy's establishment, drove to this guy's bar, and wanted to talk to him across the bar. And, uh, he ran, and, and the pastor got ran off. He basically said, you know, get out of here with a few extra words. And, um, and uh, sometime later... There was a little something that happened there for this fella that had become a little bit inquisitive. And, uh, and this pastor decided to go back and take another, another run at it. And I believe if the story's correct, he kind of sat there on a napkin and wrote these symbols down and used these symbols to explain who Jesus was. And it was the first time that Phil Robertson actually heard the gospel 
And the symbols made sense. Because Jesus came down, lived a life here amongst us, perfect in every way, sinless. But that same sinless man died sinful on the cross. He took on all the sin of the world. And after he was taken down off the cross, they put him in a tomb. Three days later, out he came. And eventually, after spending some time with his guys, after spending some time with his people, and the word says even then he taught them all these things and went back to the beginning of the scriptures, <laughs> taught them more fully, right? After a time, then he left and went to heaven. That's not the end of the story because he's coming back. Sermon for another time. These, these symbols... If you ever like watching Duck Commander, the actual shoot where they're shooting and killing ducks, you will see that Phil Robertson has these symbols just crudely painted in the back of every duck blind. Because they have hundreds of people every year come and hunt ducks on their 2,000 acre duck farm or whatever it is. They got like a couple thousand acres that they, that they manage of timber ground. And those symbols have been the topic of more questions they've been the genesis of of numerous numerous people saying what 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 is all of this and the same way that phil was introduced to christ is the same way all these years later that he's introducing christ if you watch their podcast you'll see a little rock that sits on the table right in front of phil's microphone it has the same symbols these have become near and dear to the robertson family It's actually a great story, a great testimony. We got to hustle. Somebody remind me. Oh, Dave, there he is. Dave, after I finish this last point, go grab the kids and we'll get cooking into the baptism. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5, the ministers of the gospel. The ministers of the gospel. I talked about Jesus being resurrected those that witness the resurrected Christ, Paul starts rolling in from, from what the message is to who should be promoting and who was promoting it. And he says this. Maybe I should go back a little bit. <clears throat> For I delivered unto you, first of all, I'm in verse 3, so I'll put it all in context. That way we can get the full scope. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Here it is, verse 5. And then he says this. He says, And that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to this present. But some have fallen asleep. And after that He was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached... And so you believed. The ministers of the gospel. He starts off by talking about 
he says Cephas is Peter. And Peter saw Christ, the resurrected Christ. Uh, quite a display. Then by the twelve. So Peter was blown away. The twelve were blown away. The 500 brother, and he says here, most of all still remain. A few have fallen asleep. But most of them still remain. You've got to remember, this is just a decade or so, you know, a couple decades later. So Paul's kind of saying, you know, kind of a figure of speech. Hey, if you, don't, if you don't want to believe me, Corinthians, go ask the people that were there. Oh, most of them are still alive. There's nothing more uh, compelling than a firsthand witness, right? When you witness the resurrected Christ, that's not something you forget. We're going to forget a lot of things in life the older we get, and I'm pushing up over the 50 you know, mark as of this last year. So there's things that I'm probably kind of missing out on the early years, so to speak. I know. That's what my mind says. My body at times, Gary, is in full disagreement. (laughs) But you don't forget when you see your Savior in a resurrected body. You don't forget the fact that you sat down and had, you know, fish and chips with your your, your guy. You don't forget those things. All these things happen. And he said, these 500 guys, these 500, there's a few that have passed away, but most of them are still alive. Go talk to them yourself. Go get that firsthand information yourself. If you don't believe me, just go check it out. There's no conspiracy here, essentially, Paul's saying. And if 500 guys are not enough, if 500 witnesses or however many of those 500 were still alive, if that's not powerful enough, Then talk to James. James, the brother of Jesus. Now I'm going to say this. I'm an only son. Robbie's an only son. We come from a long line of only sons. There is a young couple in this uh, congregation that's working on breaking that stereotype. I'm getting a definite head nod from this side, right? My point is, if you see your brother resurrected, Things are going to change, right? As if, I mean, a little sarcasm, as if it wasn't bad enough that he was perfect the whole time that you were growing up, (laughs) right? (laughs) Now he's raised from the dead. Peter wasn't even part, or James, this James wasn't even part of the 12. This is kind of his point of conversion in a sense. I mean, Paul's kind of listing it off in that, not in that way, but... He's kind of talking about, hey, you want to talk to somebody that would really, really know? You can talk to all these people, but you want to talk to somebody that would really, really, really be able to verify Jesus' resurrection? Go talk to his half-brother James. He'll tell you. James became the, the bishop, the elder of the church in Jerusalem. James stuck it in there and endured immense persecution from the Romans gave his own life for the sake of the gospel. I think there's plenty of evidence there. If you see your brother resurrected, uh, you're a true believer. That affects you. And Paul lists out all these people. His writing style after that in, in verse 8 becomes a little autobiographical. And he said, and then last of all, he was seen by me as one out of, born out of due time. Paul spent his own time with Christ. 
<clears throat> Acts bears that out. The book of Acts does. He says in verse 9 here, though, for the, I'm the least of the apostles. A little uh, uh, self-degradating. Who am not worthy to be caused, called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Paul never lost the sense of what his past was. But I'm here to tell you guys, and I'm here to tell anybody, if you let your past define you, you will never get beyond it. If you let the things that happened in the past, the good, bad, and the ugly, the things that either happened to you or the things that you did that, that made something happen to somebody else, and that's what Paul's talking about specifically, he was not willing to let his past define him. He was willing to let God define who he is. That's the essence of surrender. That's the essence of following Christ. That's the essence of being changed by Christ. Does he feel unworthy? Absolutely. Absolutely, as he writes this, he feels unworthy. But he goes on to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So the turnaround wasn't his good effort. It's what God had done in him. And his grace towards me is not in vain. He's saying, hey, God didn't do what he did you know, on the road. He didn't do what he did by blinding me. He didn't do what he did by allowing me or, or uh, uh, putting me in a position to then be persecuted myself and, and to be beat and stoned and whipped and all that. He didn't do all of that for no reason. It's not in vain. Not in any way. But I labored more abundantly, he says, than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether... It was I or they. He says, it doesn't matter who's preaching the gospel as long as they know what they're talking about. It doesn't matter if it's him or the other apostles. So we preach to you and so you believed. The essence there, the truth comes out at the end that we need to share the gospel. We need to share with those around us and we need to encourage them as much as we can and we need to look for opportunities where those around us who don't know Christ those that, that don't know who Jesus is would take that first step of belief. That they would believe, he says. And that's what we have here today. It's two guys, uh, Robbie and Ethan. Why don't you guys go ahead and go get changed? I should have told you that earlier. I have all these sticky notes up here. They're not doing me any good at all. <laughs> Essentially, that's what we have with Robbie and Ethan, a couple of guys who've come to that spot where they just simply believe. They believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died for their sins, that he was buried and rose again on the third day. And these two guys, these two guys recently have come up and said, hey, I'd like to get baptized. I'd like to demonstrate my faith in Christ in baptism. Baptism doesn't save anybody. It's a demonstration publicly of what Jesus has done on the inside. What Jesus has done in the heart comes out in a public demonstration. Is it the only way to demonstrate what you believe is true? Absolutely not. No, not at all. We should be demonstrating what Jesus has done on the inside every single day. Probably in every single way if you want to put a little jingle to it. Right, but baptism is, baptism is one of those things. It's a, it's a public, it's a public proclamation. This is what I believe. This is who I'm 
following. This is who I'm trusting in. This is who I'm, who I'm believing in. This is who I want to follow. So they've chosen and asked to be baptized in a little infomercial while we're waiting for them. If there's anyone here that hasn't been baptized that is a believer, we would love to talk to you. We would encourage any, anybody that's trusted Christ as their Savior that hasn't decided to get baptized to read what the Word says and to come and talk with us if you have any questions. But we would definitely encourage that. Uh, it, whether it's today, later today, another time, we would encourage that. Um, if you've been here for some time, you know that we actually do lots of baptisms at our, we kind of every weekend, one weekend a, a year, we do a church camp out. And so there's water there in the whole nine yards. Um, uh, we've been for years up at Dennis and Marion Allwines. And so we'll do a baptism there because they have this little pond and it's kind of convenient. Um, but it doesn't have to wait till then, right? We have the ability right here, the good old H&W stock tank. Works like a charm. And uh, we would encourage we would encourage anyone that has not gotten baptized to be baptized. Are we good to go? We're still changing. We have a quick infomercial we can throw up on the screen, Haley? No. You want me to just keep talking? Anything in particular? I'm just killing time. Now I'm really killing time. <laughs> do, 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 do. Can we go back to about having more grandchildren? Can we talk about that? Are we still excited? We were shocked. You know what the great news of having more than one grandchildren child is? I was thinking about this while I was playing the drums. Now, <laughs> now this is probably why I threw a drumstick. Tell me when those guys come out because I've got to shift back to that. I was thinking, now Anna kind of has somebody to kind of, she has somebody to kind of boss around. <laughs> kind of like her mother. Oh, that ain't right. That ain't right. No, we're excited. We're excited for little Anna, too. She's so precious. Makes all kinds of funny baby noises. I was holding her the other day. This is where I'm going to end, and then you guys can come on up. This is kind of in intriguing. So Anna's sitting there sleeping. I'm holding her like this, and I'm kind of just looking at her. She goes, you got to see this. She goes. <laughs> Opens one eye, then the next, all the while she was sleeping. All right, now we're back to regular scheduled programming. All right, who wants to go first? Rock, paper, scissors? Ethan, you got a towel, buddy? Yes, awesome. Oh, yeah, I got I to gotta do a little reset. And I'm actually a little nervous about having all this electronics on my hip. <laughs> not that it's high voltage, but they say it's not the volts, it's the amps. Right, Brian? Right. 